Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. So I'm so happy to introduce our two guests today. First, uh, Dr. Anne-Marie Singh. She is an allergy and immunology specialist with a focus in pediatrics, and she's at University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. She studies the initiation or start of childhood food allergies, eczema, and asthma, and she explores how early life events play an important role in the development of the, the immune system more broadly. Interesting, she also explores the role of environmental factors and exposures that can play a role in the development of allergic disease, which is something that I think a lot of us think about when we try and figure out the why of why our our kids have eczema or food allergies. So I wanna personally say, Dr. Singh, thank you for the work that you're doing to identify the root causes of these conditions. We're very appreciative of that. And then second, Dr. Ong is Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics at the University of Southern California. And he's been an attending physician in the Division of Clinical Immunology and Allergy at Children's Hospital in LA since 2004. His most recent research focused on food allergy and eczema prevention strategies. And Dr. Ong is also on our board at Global Parents for Eczema Research. So I've known him for quite a few years now. And one thing that I really appreciate about him is his openness to parent perspectives and his interest in hearing patient ideas. And I'll just share that when we advertised this podcast episode on Instagram, uh, a parent of one of your patients was quick to offer uh, her endorsement of you. So you may have um, some fans on the call today as well. So both uh, guest speakers are at the upcoming Revolutionizing Atopic Dermatitis Conference coming up in December. So Dr. Singh and Dr. Ong, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation and the kind introduction. Yeah, thank you, Carl. So the first question is, in the patient and parent community, and I should disclose, I'm the parent of a child with moderate to severe eczema, so I speak from that community myself, but we often search for the cause of our child's eczema, and we commonly look to food as the culprit because the development of eczema coincides with the introduction of food in a baby's diet. And so both nursing mothers and children try out elimination diets to try and identify what food could be causing the eczema. And I'll say that in the past, the message from healthcare providers has often been food allergy is not behind your child's eczema, and we need to let go of that idea. But more recent research seems to suggest it can play an important role in some children. And so it seems like parents perhaps overestimate the role of food allergies and eczema, and healthcare providers may underestimate it. And so I wanted to ask you both to comment on this and help us understand where the truth lies and do we know more about the instances in which food allergies are likely driving the eczema, if that makes sense. So I want to thank you for the question. And this is something that I'm sure Dr. Ong and I kind of deal with on a daily basis. And this is something that, you know, one of the most frustrating things about eczema is it's it's a chronic disease, like there's no cure really. 
and it, it, it comes and goes, it, you know, it flares and it gets better and kind of things like that. And so it can sometimes be tricky to identify a cause, even when you might see something that's associated with eczema coming out, because there are a lot of different triggers. So to kind of get at the question of, you know, where does the truth lie, you know, between like, you know, food allergy and eczema, I think part of the confusion comes from some of the early studies with food allergy and atopic dermatitis. Um, They kind of put any sort of adverse reaction to food together in one bucket. And so that includes children who had a typical food allergy, you know, what we call an immediate type one hypersensitivity, like, um, you know, hives, trouble breathing, wheezing, anaphylaxis, together with kind of food triggered eczema. So when you look at some of those early studies, it kind of combines both of those or conflates those diagnoses. It's just like one and the same. And, and now as time has moved on, we understand that they're not, you know, and they're mm-hmm. different and there's different mechanisms and in different ways we, we need to likely treat those um, patients. Um, and so I think some of the early studies thought maybe it was more common and then we started to understand that these are actually separate diagnoses. And I think that's, mm-hmm. And now we also, with some of the newer data coming out, know that withholding foods from kids who have eczema or who are at risk of developing an allergy may have some harm. And so now I think that explains some of the, like, maybe it's not a food because there could be some harm to taking away a food that um, you're not truly, the child is not truly allergic to. So so to kind of, this is a long-winded answer to say that I think we don't really know the true incidence of true food-triggered AD, food-triggered atopic dermatitis. I'm sorry, I say AD all the time just because it's short. We don't really know because some of those early food, those early studies kind of conflated those two diagnoses as I talked about. The figure that I quote a lot to my patients is of those patients that have moderate to severe eczema that has failed conventional therapy meaning daily bathing, topical steroids, doing everything that they need to do, about a third of those patients may have uh, food that could be triggering it. So it's a lot of ifs, you know, if mm-hmm. you monitor to severe, if you're doing the bathing and the topical steroids and everything that you want to do, and it is still difficult to control, it can be about a third. And there are some clinical factors that make it more likely. I should say these are young children typically. So, you know, a new thing in an older child or an adult, it's, it's not a food. You know, I really kind of focus in on um, younger children, the more severe the eczema, the more diffuse it is, you know, how much of the body is covering all of these things kind of play into the risk, I think. I, Dr. Ong, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. I do first pay attention to how severe the AD is first. So I evaluate the severity of the AD child. Based on that, then um, I also make sure I address other common triggers before we go to uh, food as a trigger for AD. Egg allergy is a common trigger, that's especially that's concerned for many parents who feel that the child's eczema is worsened after eating uh, egg especially several days after eating that. In young infant, obviously, you know, the food that's commonly introduced is cow's milk. So I think those two foods are foods of concern. And I'm with Dr. Singh that, you know, we are also concerned about development of food allergy. But on the other hand, like I say, we must address the 
you know, the psychosocial aspect and the quality of life from the AD standpoint also. I, I think that's great. So I think what I hear you saying, Dr. Ong, is, um, you know, try everything you can to get the AD under control with the tools that we have. And then in those, um, similar to Dr. Singh, in those patients where you're not having success, food allergy may be the culprit. I wanted to just ask a quick follow-up question to you, Dr. Singh, because I actually didn't know uh, that there's these completely different responses, one that may be associated with the trigger of eczema and one which is different, which is more related to anaphylaxis. Can you just explain that a little bit more? I think that's actually not something that people widely know. You know, when, we, when you think about an adverse reaction to a food, right, or, or a food causing medical symptoms, right? So there can be many kind of mechanisms or reasons why that could be happening. And, and so when I think about, you know, food allergy in the eczema population, right, there, there's kids who have eczema who also have food allergy. So that means they have eczema and you know we're doing everything we can for their eczema, but then if they were to eat peanut or something or egg, then maybe they would get an immediate reaction. So that kind of puts you in the anaphylaxis thing. And, and we know that co-expression, you know, having both of those diseases at the same time is common. Like if you have eczema, you're more likely to have a, a food allergy than if you don't have eczema. And we have some data, like in birth cohort studies, that show that um, <clears throat> uh, that you know having eczema in the first year of life increases your risk of food allergy. Actually, not just in the first year of life, but throughout childhood. And, and we're talking about this immediate sort of reaction. Then there's foods that trigger the eczema. So that's not kind of trouble breathing, wheezing, hives, anaphylaxis, but that's where triggering the food makes the eczema worse. And um, it could be, you know, something about the food triggering the eczema or eating the food making, making the child itchy. So then the child scratches and then that kind of causes the eczema to flare. And, and so that's kind of what I was saying. And that's a lot harder to study, I think, because it can be a little mm -hmm. delayed. And a lot of patients may have a mixed thing, you know, where they have some immediate symptoms and because of their immediate hives, they scratch and, and their eczema gets worse. And, and so that's kind of where I was saying that, you know, the true incidence of only having food triggered eczema, um, I think is we don't really know because a lot of these studies put these things together. Does that, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. So there have been some studies that have come out in the last year or two suggesting that actually skin that's damaged by eczema is what's causing the food allergies. So we've been fixated on, are the food allergies causing the eczema? And in fact, it could be the exact opposite. So the theory is, is that um, skin that's damaged by eczema is porous, it's, it's not uh, an adequate barrier, and so it allows um, allergens, even food allergies, for example, peanut and that type of thing, to enter the body. And when it enters the body, it, it causes the immune system to overreact when it, when it enters in that way. And so the idea is that the eczema um, actually is what's leading to the food allergy, and it's really shaken up our thinking about this relationship. Could you talk a little bit more about this and tell us what it will mean for future interventions for kids with eczema? I think uh, the way we think about it is, you know, now, you know, some laboratory studies have shown that, 
you know, the skin is where the IgE sensitization is, meaning that where the IgE is formed, and IgE is, uh, is the molecule that causes uh, allergy, including food allergy. And on the other hand, the gastro, gastrointestinal tract, that's uh, known as the uh, organs of tolerance and during the infancy. And so, uh, so that theory has so far been very consistent with what we see uh, as uh, we notice that the more severe the eczema, uh, the increased chance of, of, the, uh, of a food allergy. Uh, one in uh, five uh, eczema, mild eczema patients would have a food allergy and one in three of moderate uh, eczema ba- uh, patients would have also food allergy and uh, up to one in two uh, uh, severe uh, eczema children would have food allergy. So, so it does increase with the severity of the eczema and uh, it's consistent. The more inflammation you have on your skin, the more likely you're going to get this IgE sensitization. And there's also some uh, data to support that uh, the food, especially peanut, uh, is sensitized at the skin level also. And so that explains uh, why these two organs are so important or crucial uh, in terms of uh, intervention. Great, that's terrific. So the skin really being a key site for the immune system and when, when, when it's triggered in that environment, it has repercussions for the entire immune system. Um, Dr. Singh, did you wanna add on that topic of eczema really being the gateway to food allergy in some sense? Yeah, um, you know, my allergist training, but thinking about like initiation and you know, this is kind of what my research is too, like initiation or what causes something and then exacerbation which is once you already have the disease, what makes the disease get worse? And so mm-hmm. I think that distinction helps me at least understand sometimes this relationship, this potential bi-directional relationship mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. food allergy and AD, you know, where if we get really good control of the skin and we beef up that barrier, is there a potential there so that you're less likely to develop a food allergy? But once you have a food trigger or a food allergy, then exposure to that food could make the eczema worse. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's a little bit of a distinction. And, um, but I agree with what everything Dr. Ang was saying. So it sounds like almost there's a window uh, in, in early childhood um, where we have this chance to shore up the skin barrier. Um, or am I reading too much into this? But um, if we can kind of really strengthen the skin barrier in these kids with eczema, we may be able to prevent the development of food allergies by preventing that initial response, as you talked about, from from going haywire. Yeah, so I think that's something based on all the available data that we have that that we hypothesize to be true, but we don't have that those studies yet. Like we really need an, an you know an interventional study where you know children are randomized to Moist, aggressive moisturization, um, and then or not, and seeing how it affects whether or not they develop food allergy. Oh, um, from the eczema standpoint, uh, we we know about those two studies recently that shows that if, even if you at baby at risk for eczema, if the parents apply moisturizer early on, that did not actually prevent the eczema, and whether. Uh, doing that will prevent food allergy, I think, remains to be seen. And, and, but that doesn't mean that a uh, baby who already have mild eczema, we can uh, change anything. 
uh, it's possible that you know the malics might be applied uh, moisturizer early, uh, do a lot of skincare or even topical inflammatory. We may be able to prevent progression to worse eczema or even food allergy. Uh, we don't have the uh, data to, to show that at this point. Yeah, and thank you, Dr. Ong, for making that distinction because I think what I've seen with those studies that I have looked at, you know, using emollients to improve the, the barrier and so on, the outcome that they've looked at has been development of eczema. I don't know that they've looked at development of allergies. The data wasn't long-term enough to look at whether that prevents food allergy. April, why don't we start with your question, and I'm going to put the rest of my kickoff questions on hold to make sure that parents on the line get to get theirs in today. April Maddox says, can allergens or food-causing allergies like egg and peanuts be passed through breast milk? Um, my son is 11 months and not really been eating solids yet. It's my understanding that small amounts of food protein uh, can be found in the breast milk. Um, the question is, is that enough, what's found in breast milk, to trigger eczema uh, or eczema flare in the child? You know, there can be small amounts of food protein in breast milk. Is it enough to trigger disease? I am not sure, but I do have patients who feel that way. I usually don't see that as a problem in terms of, uh, you know, having egg allergen in breast milk causing eczema flare in the infant. Um, the, the child usually have to directly ingest that to, to cause a problem. And so um, the more, more common problem I see usually in terms of breast milk, uh, it's, it's cow's milk or dairy products. But usually not doesn't manifest as an eczema issue, usually like a GI tract intolerance issues. And, and no matter whether uh, parents would restrict how much in their diet, uh, we still see that a problem. So we, we just don't understand whether that's truly due to the cow's milk, the, the parents, the mother is ingesting or, or something else similar in the breast milk. Okay, so I'm going to go to Anja's question now, and she, um, she asked me to read it. She said, thanks for hosting this session. I'm a mom to a six-month-old baby based in the UK. Um, her baby has eczema and IgE-mediated food allergies to dairy, peanut, cashew, sesame, and pistachio. Um, she has mild IgE allergies to hazelnut, brazil nut, and almond. We have done successful supervised feeds to these, but I find her eczema flares upon eating them. I feel we are stuck between a rock and a hard place for her dermatologist is advising to avoid these foods. However, her allergy consultant is keen for her to continue these to prevent an allergy to these nuts. Do you have any advice on how we can manage this? And also, do you suggest IgG testing for delayed reactions to foods, food causing eczema? But I think part of your question, you can tell me in the chat if I'm, if I'm right or wrong, is that there's a concern among allergists that if you avoid um, foods too much, that in fact that causes over oversensitivity to those foods and can actually make it more like anaphyl anaphylaxis, right? You know, as parents, how do you navigate that, you know, between the food triggering the eczema and so avoid it, or, you know, um, getting to that point where you create a body that's so sensitive to these things? So I would say, for me, this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. So um, this involves, I think, a detailed discussion with your allergists and, and maybe your dermatologist, but certainly the allergist, about the risks and benefits 
of avoidance versus keeping the food in the diet for kind of these nuts for which you have low level sensitization, but you're feeling like it's flying the skin. So we performed a study. It was a retrospective chart review of over a thousand patients that presented to Lurie Children's Hospital um, with concerns very similar to this, looking for food-triggered eczema. And, um, and what we found was if, if you take a food out of the diet, even if in the beginning it's a mild reaction, like a mild eczema flare or getting itchy, if you, if you take the food out of the diet and you avoid it, upon reintroduction, 20% um, of the reactions change to uh, an immediate type reaction or to like anaphylaxis. And so, um, and so I think based on that data and others and the LEAP study now showing that, you know, oral introduction or keeping something in the diet can be tolerizing or it helps train your immune system to not react so strongly to it. I think this is where it's these sorts of data that is making your allergist encourage you to keep foods in the diet that, that could be tolerated. So the question, so this is why I'm saying it's like not a one size fits all because for some families, the itchiness isn't that bad to that trigger. They'll treat with, you know, a little triamcinolone and they'll keep it in the diet and they feel good about that because they, it's worth it to them so they don't have that risk of developing a more severe allergy. And then in some families, even if, you know, the eczema, it's, they're so itchy, it's miserable, it's, it's really affecting the quality of life of the child. And when the child doesn't sleep, the parents don't sleep and it affects the whole family. And, and maybe in, in those families, it's worth it to them to take it out of the diet and to have that risk of you know, loss of oral tolerance and, and the development of a more severe food allergy. So, um, and so I think this is why you're getting some com conflicting information. And, and I think it really, I don't take a one size fits all approach. It's really a risks and benefits with the family that's sitting in front of me in that moment, what they look like, what they need. And, and I, and I always tell all my families, the decision I make doesn't have to be the decision you make. It's my job to give you all the information. It's my job to advise you if you want my advice. It's my job to give you the data and tell you the implications of the decisions, but really um, it's not my job to make the decision for you. And that's just my approach and, and different physicians may have different approaches, but um, I think that's kind of what I would say in follow up to that. Okay, great. I'm going to go to Linnell's question, Linnell in Michigan, and I am going to take the liberty to tack on one of my questions to the to the bottom of this because um, I think there are two related questions here that are really important. So Linnell's question is about how allergies seem to to come and go. So she's asking, has there been a study showing the outcome of ch children who had previously tested positive for food allergy? And then their eczema was nearly cleared, and then the the food allergy tends to go away, and they no longer have that allergy. I have two related, I guess, comments. One is we 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 are hearing with children on the biologic dupixent that their food allergies disappear when they're on that therapy. So there seems to be some malleability here with with food allergies, especially in kids with eczema, where the heightened immune response that comes with having eczema and eczema flares 
seems to elevate sensitivity to foods and perhaps allergies that once you get the eczema under control through strong therapies, those, those allergies disappear. So I wondered if, if, you could, if you could comment on that. And then second and related, what is the best test for detecting food allergies in kids with eczema given that they have overactive immune responses? And, and I'll just share with everybody that when my son's eczema was, was at its worst, when he was severe, I took him in to have um, him tested for allergies. And I really remember this conversation with his allergist so clearly. He, he came back and told me, your son is exquisitely sensitive. He's allergic to everything. And, you know, it turned out that once his eczema was, was under control, a lot of those things disappeared in the blood tests and the skin prick tests. So a two-part question. One is, like, how transient are these food allergies in kids with eczema? And then two, what is the best way for, for sort of um, accurately detecting food allergy in children that have such an elevated allergic response or immune response going on in general? Yes, uh, you're right. Some of these testing can be uh, a lot of false positive. I mean, false negative. Um, but uh, on the other hand, their, for, uh, their true positive uh, tests are also uh, much higher also. So, so, um, so I think it, because of the increased uh, chance of having food allergy, uh, you know, I, t I tend to uh, uh, sometimes do further workup, including food challenge. Uh, to confirm uh, these food allergy and not totally rely on the uh, just blood testing or, or skin testing. Great. And I see in the chat some others agreeing that the same thing happened that when they were tested for allergies during a flare, you know, the tests come back with all sorts of, of, of allergies, but then when that's under control, the, the results change. Did you want to add anything to this question, Dr. Singh? I mean, there's there was a lot there, but I agree with what Dr. Ang was saying. Like, we know that kids with eczema make a lot of IgE. They have which is like the allergic antibodies. So they make a lot of total IgE. They make a lot of specific IgE, and um, I definitely have seen this where if you if we retest once the skin is under better control. Um, we can often see a trend to lower tests and things like that. And so this is where like, you know, to make an accurate diagnosis, it's a, it's a common, you know, it's a really good history. It's the testing. And then the gold standard, as Dr. Ong mentioned, is really the food challenge. A supervised um, food challenge in the clinical yeah, setting, yes, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Sorry, <laughs> a supervised oral food challenge where, um, you know, the child kind of comes into the office and we do a baseline exam and that we give them a small amount and then we wait 15 minutes and we give them a little more and we wait 15 more minutes. And, and then over however many graduated steps, you get up to where the child has consumed a serving of the food. Hi, thank you for being here, everyone. I wish we could do this every day. This is amazing. <laughs> Um, I, my question had to do with uh, the, the strategy of increasing tolerance of specific foods and what I've read about in a few uh, mainstream articles, this, this idea of a patch, kind of like a, a smoker's patch. Um, and I'm just wondering what our guests um, think about that strategy and whether or not um, if you could, if you if you had a crystal ball, if you would predict that someday we will have 
a patch for specific food allergies like peanuts or other other uh, other foods and 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 uh, you know whether or not that will be you know commonplace for for us in the in the future either in the short term or long term thank you yeah so the patches we call uh, epicutaneous immunotherapy which just means through the skin so uh, these are absolutely under investigation and it is similar to as you described um, it's a patch that's put on and you change the patch daily and um, you start off with a little bit of protein on the patch and then it escalates until you get to a maintenance dose and then you have a maintenance patch that you put on the skin you know you change the patch every single day what i can tell you is that you know for peanut it's completed some phase three trials and it, it did show to kind of increase the threshold at which children react in um, but is not fda approved and I, I think the concern with the first fda approval was making sure the same amount of patch gets absorbed you know through the skin each time and so um, it's my understanding the company is working through some of those issues. I also know there's some studies with the patch for milk and egg. Those are just the studies I know about. There could be others. Um, I think it's definitely coming. Will it be a, a panacea or, you know, what is it going to be? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it might be an, another potential tool in our toolbox, but right now the recommendation is even if you're using the patch, you still need to avoid the food. The way I've been talking about it is it increases the safety for an accidental ingestion, but it does not give you free reign to go out and just start eating some of these foods. Great, good answers and a really important question. Thanks, Armando. Um, so we have Gabby Morales in Florida with a follow-up question. She just wonders if there's any risk in trying out immunotherapy if your child has eczema. So it's back to that question of that sort of you know, heightened or aggravated immune response that we see in kids with eczema, are they actually um, candidates for immunotherapy given, given that sort of baseline overactivation? Yeah, so um, interestingly, which is actually maybe the opposite of what I hypothesized, but in these oral immunotherapy trials, uh, the eczema did not worsen. So, um, in general, I don't think eczema would be an exclusion from these immunotherapies. And again, this might go against what I would have previously thought before I saw the data, but that's my understanding. Yeah, that's really interesting, very counterintuitive, but good news, I think, for people who wanna try out that, that therapy. I'm gonna go to our last question, and this is uh, sort of a question I ask all of our guests, which is, what is the most promising research related to preventing allergies in children who are at high risk for eczema or who develop eczema? And is there a way for us to get upstream of these conditions to prevent them before they manifest so we don't have so many children navigating this confusing territory in the first place? So we, we do know that uh, there are subgroups or uh, subsets of uh, eczema babies <clears throat> they are at more risk for uh, food allergy. Uh, for example, if they have early onset, meaning if they have eczema starting under a year, uh, that's considered at higher risk. And if their eczema is more severe, that's considered uh, also uh, another risk also. And if they have already have another food allergy or, or one food allergy, the chance of having another food allergy is also higher. 
I think further studies or future studies, hopefully we can even be more specific to pinpoint to which baby with eczema at, uh, even at higher risk for, um, for food allergy so that we can uh, identify accurately these patients and then intervene. Yeah, so important. Right now we have no idea and we just have to let it play out. But if we could pinpoint those children which are, are likely to develop it, we could figure out maybe how to intervene with those specific children. Um, Dr. Singh, any, any comments on promising areas of prevention research? I know this is your area. so Yeah, so I, I agree. I, I think this is, um, this is such an exciting time, actually, in, in the food allergy world because we are finding, you know, with the LEAP study and early introduction of peanut and possibly early introduction of egg, we are talking about prevention and, um, and we've had some success with some of those therapies. Um, you know, there, it remains to be seen. I'm really excited to see about, you know, some of these immune therapeutics, you know, something like, you know, dupilumab or things like that. Um, could that, could those sorts of immune therapies play a role? There's some research on what about altering the microbiome, right? Like, so, you know, whether that's through in the gut or on the skin, you know, there's studies looking at the microbiome and how if we change the microbiome, could that alter or prevent either eczema or kind of this concept of the atopic march, you know, like the, maybe if you have eczema, preventing food allergy or asthma or some of these other things. Um, and then we talked about some of the moisturization, you know, like what about early aggressive moisturization and, and things like that. So I think there are um, lots of very dedicated people who are trying to answer some of these questions and it's a really exciting time. And, and what I love about it is there's not, all the eggs are not in one basket, right? Like we're trying to come at it from all these different ways. And, and so that gives me hope and optimism. Yeah, thank you for that, um, for those hopeful notes. And I think maybe it's not one thing, it's all of the above, you know? We throw everything at it and, and, and see if we can't head this off at the pass. So everyone, we're at the top of the hour and I wanna thank you all for attending this really interesting and lively discussion today with our two guests. And join me in thanking uh, Dr. Singh and Dr. Ong for volunteering their time today to share their expertise with us. Thank you. Uh, nice talking to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you to everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.